0: Heavenly Father, we thank you, Father, for all your blessings. I pray now that you allow our hearts to be open to hear your word. For this, as in Jesus' name, amen. The Devil's Triangle. This sermon was written by Pastor John Pitten. Squadron 19 was led by Lieutenant Taylor, commanding four student pilots along with their crew, 14 men, all of them involved in national training, navigational training, I should say, on a mission between Florida and the Bahamas. At 3.30 p.m., Taylor reported that his gyro and magnetic compass were not responding properly. Squadron 19 followed their leader aimlessly, first east, then west, then northeast over the ocean, as Lieutenant Taylor tried to get his bearings by radio. Then suddenly, the flight manager gave quick orders to bail out, and not long after, all contact was lost. Quickly, two Marine Mariner seaplanes, giant aircraft designed for long-range patrols, were dispatched in search of Squadron 19. After several hours, the wind picked up nearly 30 knots. The visibility got very poor, and the planes were ordered to return to base. Only one of the Mariner planes landed. Following, for the following days, the Navy and Coast Guard combined with 100,000 square mile area with more than 100 planes and surface craft. But even to this day, I'm told there has never been found a trace of the five aircraft in Squadron 19, or the giant Mariner seaplanes. In the same mysterious way, that two years later, on January 30th, a British commercial airliner with 31 passengers aboard vanished after radioing Bermuda that all was well and the landing would be precise on schedule. 20 years later, December 1967, a 23-foot cabin cruiser disappeared off the coast of Miami after reporting a propeller problem. Ten minutes after receiving the report, the Coast Guard arrived on the scene. But no sign of the cruiser has ever been found. Similar episodes are found in the government files, reporting some 40 ships and 20 planes which have mysteriously disappeared over the last century in the southwest quadrant of the North Atlantic between Bermuda, Miami, and Puerto Rico. The area called the the Bermuda Triangle, or The devil's triangle. There are many plausible explanations given over the last many years to explain just how these occurrences take place in this geographical triangle. Everything from scientific to mystical and still no one really knows how it happened. It's doubtful that any of us will fall victim to the devil's triangle, at least not that one. But there's another more dangerous devil's triangle that remain a threat to every single one of us. It is a devil's triangle that causes more Christians to bail out and to mysteriously disappear than any part of worldly geography. And unfortunately, this triangle is not a myth, not a fable, and there is no way to explain it away. It all started several thousand years ago and it came to a head about 2,000 years ago on the banks of the Jordan River. It is a story that could have only come from Jesus' own lips. For after his baptism, he spent 40 days alone in the wilderness with no food and only he could recount what happened for the Gospel writers. Both Luke and Matthew have a lengthy, detailed description of this And i like to read the account from the Children's Living Bible. I like how they put it. Matthew 4, 1-11, or Luke 4, 1-13. Matthew says, Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by Satan. For forty days and forty nights he ate nothing and became very hungry. Then Satan tempted him to get food by changing stones to loaves of bread. It will prove you are the Son of God, he said. But Jesus told him no, for scripture tells us that bread won't feed man's soul. Obedience to every word of God is what we need. Then Satan took him to Jerusalem, to the roof of the temple. Jump off, he said, and prove you are the Son of God. For the scripture declares God will send his angels to keep you from harm. They will prevent you from smashing your feet on the rocks below. Jesus replied, it is also said not to put the Lord your God to foolish tests. Then Satan took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said if you will only kneel and worship me." Only. Only kneel and worship me? Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. The scripture says, worship only the Lord, obey only him. Finally, Satan went away. Luke adds a very important word, temporarily. For we know that Satan didn't leave Christ alone for the rest of his ministry. There are a number of lessons from these three temptations, especially from the first one in the Devil's Triangle. The whole point of, of temptation is that they come to people or a person who would be tempted by them. To change rocks to bread, quite frankly, will not be a temptation for me for the simple reason there is no way I could ever change rocks to bread. That is only a temptation to someone that has the power to make that change. Wayne Barclay says that we must always remember that again and again, we are tempted through our gifts. The person who is gifted with charm will be tempted to use that charm to get away with anything. Parents, do you know that if anyone like that in your home, don't answer that question. The person who is gifted with the power of words will be tempted to use his command of words to make excuses, to justify his conduct. A person with great gifts of mind will be tempted to use those gifts for himself and not for others, to become the master and not the servant of men. It is the grim fact of temptation that it is just where we are strongest that we must be ever more watchful To this utmost. One of the other truths of life is that our greatest moments, our spiritual highs are often followed by huge valleys. This was the case in the story. Jesus had just emerged from the water of baptism, and the sky opened up. A heavenly dove descended with a majestic voice, said, This is my son. Now, if that is not a spiritual high, I don't know what could be, but we know from Scripture that immediately after that he was taken into the desert to be by himself for forty days and forty nights without any food. Ellen White comments on this fact that his anguish was not so much from the enduring pangs of hunger as for his sense of the fearful results of the indulgence of appetite and passion upon the race. She wasn't talking about food. She says he knew that appetite would be man's idol and would lead him to forget God and would stand directly in the way of his salvation. We have a materialistic philosophy of life. We assume, without being aware of it sometimes, that a man's life consists of the abundance of things that come into his possession. an appeal to the appetite of our need or our pleasure have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says he who dies with the most toys wins that's just how that's just what Satan wants us to do he's playing on that because the reality is he who dies with the most toys still dies the things don't matter Man is more than an animal. His most urgent needs is not physical or material. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. However, we often try to take liberties in selecting which words of God we want, those portions that appeal to us and we reject the others. Those who eat only what pleases their fancy cannot expect to enjoy a healthy Christian experience or to reach a Christian maturity. It is easy to choose the tasty morsels of the Bible, the easy sayings, the things that we are already doing, and, miss, and dismiss the things that carry so much nutritional, spiritual food for us. If you are interested in losing weight, let me present you with an incredible, incredible, new loser's diet. Just follow this diet and you are sure to lose. For breakfast, half a grapefruit, one slice of whole wheat toast, eight ounces of milk. For lunch, four ounces of lean bowl turkey meat or chicken breast or a soy-based product, one cup of steamed zucchini, one Oreo cookie, herbal tea, mid-afternoon mid-afternoon snack (laughs) the rest of the bag of Orioles, a quart of Rocky Road ice cream one jar of hot fudge dinner, two loaves of garlic bread, extra large cheese mushroom pizza, two liters of root beer, a super-sized Snickers bar, an entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer the diet tips rules that are not outlined in the menu if no one sees you eat it it has no calories if you drink a Diet Coke with your candy bar they cancel each other out when eating with someone else the calories don't count if you're both eating food used for medical purposes never counts such as hot chocolate and cheesecake if you fatten up everyone else around you, you look thinner, thinner. Movie related foods and those consumed at sporting events don't count because they are simply part of the ent- ent- entire entertainment experience and not part of one's personal fuel. Cookie pieces contains absolutely no calories because the process of breaking causes a calorie leakage. This diet sounds a lot like how some people try to live their Christian life, doesn't it? We start off great in the morning, a little Bible study, some prayer, maybe even the sub school lesson, but then start to go downhill. By the end of the day, we discover that we have blown it big time. We rationalize our behavior with statements like, well, if no one sees me sin, it doesn't really matter. It's not really that big of a deal or if I sin with my friends it's okay because everyone else is doing it. That kind of Christianity of course is just as ridiculous as a diet. The question is how do Christians stay strong throughout the day? I'm not going to give you the answer but it's crucial that you discover the answer Back in the first meeting of temptation, Jesus had proved loyal to his Father's will, yet the devil in the second temptation proposes that Jesus prove his loyalty, and faced by an act that would give conclusive proof to that fact, Satan takes him to the top of the temple. There's this one corner where Solomon's porch meets the royal porch. And at that corner, there is a steep drop of 450 feet into the valley. From here, Satan says, jump. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm scared of heights. Once again, this is not a a temptation for me. But again, Jesus could have done it. In fact, the quote that Satan uses, the misquote from Psalms 91 is proof. It's not just the whole quote. He leaves out the key phrase that says to keep you in all your ways. You see, we never are to place ourselves unnecessarily or carelessly in a position where God has to work a miracle or in order to save us from our foolish actions. I think it was very in- intentional too that Satan took him to the temple for this temptation. It was a safe place. Did you know we can find the tempted in church a pastor of a church said said this last evening I spent with one of my dearest friends one who has been hugely influ- influential in my life and he told me something he said that he and his family have given up their church they haven't given they haven't been there for six months they've been attending another church but they've given up on this church because the senior pastor wouldn't work with him. The pastor was moving in a different direction from a large portion of the church. He was dividing the church. So they gave up and they're going somewhere else. End quote. The devil uses things like, well, it's not our church. It's their church. Or this is our church, not their church. And we focus on things like style or who's preaching or what's for potluck even. I don't know. We have all kinds of different reasons to come to church, but I've got some information for you that you may not have realized. This isn't your church. It's not my church. It's his church. We are all guests in his house. And I think that Satan was very intentional in taking Christ to the temple for a temptation. We don't know the site of the third temptation, but it is logical to assume that it was probably Mount Nebo, where Moses was allowed by God to see the entire promised land before he died. Remember, he wasn't allowed to go in because he disobeyed. But God took him to this mountain. At some 4,000 feet above the Dead Sea and the Jordan River, you could see everything. You could probably see from this point Herod's magnificent temple, probably glistening in the sun. It was probably a spectacular sight, and it's very likely that this is where Satan took him. Up to this point, Satan had disguised himself as an angel of light, But the gloves are off now, and he appears in his assumed role of prince of this earth, of this world. He presents all the dazzling glories of human prowess and offers Jesus the role of political messiah. He offered him to be messiah, and this role, you need to understand, would have quickly been accepted by the Jews of the day the leadership. This is what they were looking for, a political messiah, one that would meet their expectations. But we now know that, but we know that's not what he's here for. You see, Satan knew that Jesus had come to contest his claims to be prince of this world. And now Satan offers to surrender it without a fight, without any conflict, on one little condition that God incarnate would bow down and worship the devil not really a big thing he only had to do it once he made it sound like he was getting a great deal with little in return but that wasn't true in addition to the fact it was an offer that Satan didn't have the power to make Satan boldly offered the power and honor of this world to Jesus if he would just bow down to give him just once in essence he suggests to Jesus that he lower his standards take a shortcut to the end take the easy way come on you deserve it make a compromise a climax has been reached Satan had unmasked himself and had appeared in his true role. The prince of this world had come to Christ offering to satisfy the cravings of human desire, the desire for the material creature comforts, for the privilege of doing as one pleases without the responsibilities attached, Satan's triangle of temptation, pleasure, pride, and power. How many of those... Are you likely to be tempted by in Philippians 2 5 through 8 it says and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In Luke seventeen, thirty-two to 33 remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. If we but come to him in faith, if we but choose to walk, not after the flesh, but after the spirit, if we, by his grace, be enabled to walk like he did, if we submit ourselves to God, we too may resist the devil and he will flee from us. Thank you.